Uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where we'll start off the new year uh, this morning. Welcome to 2017. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, and 2017 sounds way too futuristic for you. I feel like it was just two weeks ago I started writing 2016 down instead of 2015. So that's my first New Year's resolution, is to try to switch over to, to 2017. Uh, I was talking to Zach early this morning, and, and, and we were like, if you would have asked us in 98 what we thought 2017 would be like, it would have been the most bizarre sci-fi movie that you've, you've ever seen. And here we are. It's normal life. Um, we've got cool phones, so we've got a couple things to show for it. Um, the new year brings with it lots of unique opportunities, I think, to reflect on where we've been and what we've experienced and where we're going. And for those reasons, it's always been one of my favorite holidays uh, because of the ability that it, it contains to um, encourage us to be intentional with our lives and to, to think through how we're spending our time, how we're spending our resources, what decisions we're making, what, what path we are on. A couple nights ago, I got a phone call a couple phone calls in the middle of the night. So I woke up at like 7.30 and I had four missed calls at 3.30 a.m. from the police and from the fire marshal's investigator's office. Now, depending on how much trouble you got in as a kid, uh, will depend on what your reaction is, um, how close it was to mine. In my experience, it's not good to wake up to voicemails from the Sugarland Police Department and from the fire marshal investigator's office. And, and they left a pretty short message saying, the gist of it was call us back. And uh, they said, there's been a fire. We need you to call us back. And something about, we need video. And so I, I, I'm up at 7.30 and I'm giving them a phone call. In my mind, I'm thinking, man, I really hope that they weren't talking about the church. They were talking about the school next door. And I was like, I feel kind of, I don't know why this makes me so happy and so evil feeling at the same exact time, hoping that the school next door burned down and not our little church. Sure enough, it was the school. And so uh, I called them. They're like, we had the, the wrong number, the wrong person. So we're getting in touch with the, the, the headmaster of the school. Um, I happen to be friends with the headmaster and his assistant. And so after I'd called, I texted them. It's like, hey, just make sure they'd reach out to y'all. Apparently there's a fire at the school. Want to make sure everything was okay. And uh, they sent me some pictures and some video. And it's the fourth time. Apparently there are these two teenage boys who live in the neighborhood who come set garbage fires at their school, their school campus. And they sent me the pictures. This was the worst one. The damage was pretty bad. And uh, the, uh, I was like, hey, if our church can do anything, uh, let us know if we can help with the repairs or anything like that, get a work day together. And they were like, just, you know, watch out for any kids with matches. <laughs> All right, we can do that. Uh, <laughs> and they have the video of it, which is the most amazing thing, because these two little boys, maybe like sixth or seventh grade, walk up and start this fire. And they just have, don't have a care in the world. I mean, they're not concerned they're going to get caught. They just kind of watch it until it's no longer amusing to them in the kind of meander way. They haven't been caught. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this new year, right? I was just thinking about what a waste of time. What a, but I, I mean, I was that kid when I was in sixth or seventh grade. Um, it, it's a, it's a, a way of viewing your life as, as, as kind of, as kind of pointless, right? There's, I might as well do this. Um, there's nothing better for me to be doing. Um, if whatever might give me a little bit of amusement in the moment um, is, is, is what I'll do and, and see if it gives me a thrill for a couple of seconds or not. Um, and, and what I'd like us to do this morning is to, to think about, you know, we might not be setting 
trash fires at schools. Um, but, but to think about the way we're using our time, the decisions we're making, um, and then with um, what the scriptures have to say about our, our time management. I, I think um, if we pay attention to the scriptures, um, it will challenge and convict us about how to um, use our time, how to um, make wise decisions, and how to be intentional in how we live our lives. So I want to be in Ephesians 5 this morning. We'll pick it up in verse 15. It's one of my very favorite passages in all the scriptures. Um, when I get invited to speak places, um, I usually take whatever topic they give me and somehow manage to fit it into this passage. Um, because it's just an amazing passage. So Ephesians 5, uh, we'll start in verse 15. Look carefully, Paul says, then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. They're setting fires everywhere. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the book of Ephesians is kind of very symmetrical. It's, it's, there's two parts to it. In the first part, in, in chapters 1 through 3, it's all about what God has done for us in Christ. He has shown us love. He has given us grace. He has forgiven us of our sins. We've been given an inheritance. We've been made alive. We've been um, lavished with his, his love uh, and his mercy. And then in, in chapter 4, Paul shifts, and, and the rest of the book, 4 through 6, is all about the kind of lives that we're supposed to live because of God's love for us. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says here in Ephesians, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is a theme throughout Paul's letters. In, in Philippians 1.27, he'll say something similar, which is, um, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. The idea for Paul is that as Christians, our lifestyles, our choices, should be an appropriate response to who God is and what he's done for us. Um, I'm sure you've been in the situation where you are talking to someone and uh, or just in a relationship and they severely overreact to something that you've said or severely underreact. You're like, hey, we're pregnant. And they're like, okay, that's cool. And you're like, well, maybe a little bit more excitement would be appropriate. Or, you know, you're like, hey, I kind of uh, spilled something on your carpet and they freak out and start yelling at you. And you're like, okay, maybe a little t- too much. Tone it down a little bit. Paul, Paul's hope here is that for Christians, our, our, our response would be just appropriate. It would be just right. Um, right? Say, hypothetically, there's an alien, and they came down. They knew nothing about God. They knew nothing about Jesus. They watched your life, and then they learned about the gospel. So that alien figure would say, that makes sense. It makes sense that they would talk the way they talk if that's who their God is, and that's how their God has loved them and saved them. It makes sense that that's how they relate to the people around them, if that's who their God is, and that's how their God has loved him. And so here in, in verse 15, um, we get this kind of more fleshed out. He's, he's told us throughout Ephesians that as Christians, it's an appropriate reaction for us to live in unity with our brothers and sisters, um, with our church community. It's appropriate for us to avoid sinful behaviors that will harm us and harm other people. Um, and it's appropriate for you and I to imitate God in love. He starts off chapter 5. Um, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And now he says, look carefully at how you walk. I think this is, this is kind of the, 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 the heart of this passage here. He says, examine your life. Be intentional about your life. Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The gist of that is that 
when you live your life in an in a unintentional manner, um, just doing whatever comes naturally to you in the moment, you're going to almost 10 times out of 10 end up wasting your life. You're, you're going to end up throwing it away and you're going to end up doing things and, and finding yourself in places that you don't want to be uh, and, and things that you don't want to be doing. Um, and, and Paul says, um, the, the Christian version of this, this saying from Socrates, the unexamined Christian life, he says, is not worth living. It's not worthy of the kind of love and, and grace that we have been given from God. Um, he says, look carefully at how you walk. And he, he's not talking about our stance and our posture when we walk here. It's kind of a metaphor for our lifestyle, for our choices. He says, analyze the way that you are living. Analyze the way you're spending your time. Analyze um, the decisions you're making, the way you're talking, the way you're spending your money, um, the places that you are hanging out uh, at, the, the people that you are spending your time with. Um, and the reason why this is so important is because if, if you don't look carefully, if you don't analyze your life every now and then at least, time has this way of sneaking up on you and surprising you. I think we've all had this experience where we've kind of woken up and been surprised at where we are in life. Maybe it's a habit that we've built up that we're surprised about. Maybe it's just the changes in the world around us. If you had kids, I think you probably recognize this. One day they're a baby, and the next day they're, they're growing up so fast. Um, the older I get, and I'm told it just gets more and more like this, the days are long and the years are short. I mean, the years just blur together. It's, it was yesterday that Liberty was a baby. <clears throat> and they're just had their first kid, and now they're on kid like eight, and Liberty's 12. <laughs> And, right, I mean, just all kind of blurs together and, and it, it, it comes up on you really fast. Um, or maybe you've had this experience with like your weight or your health or something like that, where um, out of nowhere, someone takes a picture from the side without you realizing it and you see it and you're like, what in the world has happened to me? And, and you weren't thinking about it, right? But it just kind of comes up on you. It kind of surprises you. Time has this kind of sneaky, deceptive ability to do that. And, and we're... Um, creatures of habit and, and creatures who are easily deceived, especially by, by ourselves. And so Paul says, look carefully. That's the only way you're going to avoid it is by examining your life, your choices. Proverbs 4, um, 26 says, to ponder the path of your feet and that that will make all your ways sure. And the idea there is that if you look down, no matter where you're going, at any given point, and if you look down, the direction your feet are in are going to tell you the path that you're on and the location that you'll eventually get to. As long as my toes are pointed this way, as I keep walking, I'm going to end up on this trajectory. The idea is at any given point in your life, you can look at the decisions you're making and you can know where you're headed in life. You can know the type of person you're becoming, who you are this morning, a few hours into 2017, is not who you chose to be this morning. It's the sum of all the choices you've made over the last week, and last month, and last year, and last decade. All of those choices build up into creating who we are. And, and if we can sit back and look at the choices we're making, I think we'll be able to avoid wasting our lives and avoid having an unfortunate situation kind of sneak up on us. I have this theory that no Christian has ever sat down, say, on like a New Year's resolution list and, and made a goal that they want to kind of wake up one day and realize that they haven't read their Bible in a year. Or, or here's what I want to do. 
as a Christian, I want to get into this kind of pattern and, and, and habitual lifestyle where um, I'll, I'll wake up one day and realize I haven't um, prayed in six months. I haven't, I haven't gone to church in two years. I don't think anyone has ever sat down as a Christian and said, that's my goal. But, but what I can tell you is that happens to so many people. I mean, so many people wake up one day and they go, how did I get here? How did I get to a place where I feel so far from God? How did I get to a place where I'm so far removed from using my gifts and my skills in service to, to God? How did I get to a place where I have no strong Christian community? How did I get to a place where I have no kind of engagement with the Scriptures? And the reason is because you made choices that got you to that destination, but your choices weren't intentional. And so you're surprised that you got there. But if you, if you would have taken some time to look carefully, to sit down and, and analyze, you, you could have avoided this. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important to have truth spoken into your life on such a regular basis, whether it's through sermons or through music or through community groups, to have people who are able to get you to think about the choices you're making, have people who are able to get you to do double takes um, and, and kind of analyze the decisions that you are making. I think there's a lot of wisdom to, to spiritual checkups where you step back and kind of analyze the state of your spiritual life. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I've, I've ever been given, and, and I try to do this at least once a year toward the new year, um, is to, to sit down on a regular basis, maybe once a year, and to make a list. And on, on one side of the list, there's, there's two lists, you can fold paper in half. On one side of the list, list off all of the things that bring you closer to Christ. And on the other side, list off all of the things that bring you farther away from Christ. And there's no rules. It can be spiritual things. It can be non-spiritual things. Um, I mean, it can be going to church every Sunday down to, you know, eating my vegetables, getting enough sleep, those kind of things, not watching too much TV or um, spending my money this way or that way. Um, and, and the advice is, is very simple, right? Do the things that bring you closer to Christ, and don't do the things that take you farther away from Christ. And what I've found, at least in my attempt to put this into practice, is that when I make this list, every time I'm surprised by what ends up on there. There are things that, that come up on there that take me farther away from Christ that I would never have guessed if I hadn't have spent the time to sit and reflect and analyze. And, and a lot of the things that bring me farther away from Christ aren't evil things. They're neutral or, or even good things, but they just have the ability to serve as a distraction in my life. Paul uses the, the, the words here, wisdom and, and foolishness. He says, look at how you walk so that you can make wise decisions, not foolish decisions, knowing what God's will is, what God wants you to do with your life. I've, I've found, I think, that most of the biggest decisions in our lives aren't decisions between right or wrong. Most of the most impactful decisions you'll ever have to make for your spiritual growth are going to be decisions between good or better. Decisions not between black and white, but gray options. What will help me most effectively get to my goal, or what will be a distraction? What will be an obstacle? What will take me off the path, um, at least for a little bit? Um, as I've walked with students, college students, high school students, most of the big questions they have aren't right or wrong. I mean, should I go to this college or this college? I mean, that's not, you're not going to find that in the Bible. Should I go to University of Texas or Texas A&M? 
I mean, I can tell you God's an Aggie, uh, but I can't, I can't show you that verse, right? Or, or, or should I go into this career or that career? Should I take this job or that job? There's, there's not going to be that Bible verse. There's not that, that place in the scriptures that will tell you that. That's going to be a decision that has a dramatic impact on your life and on your, your spiritual growth. Um, it's not a decision between right and wrong. It's a decision between what's the most wise for you uh, and your life, for your personality, for your situation. Uh, occasionally, there are some black and white, right? And if a student comes to me and says, hey, I'm thinking about killing this person. Uh, should I murder them or should I love them? I'm like, that's in there. I got this one. If you'll open your Bible with me and go here and here and here, I think you should not kill them. I think we've got this one covered. Most, though, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I have a second kid, a third kid? Should I move to this neighborhood? Should I do this? Should I do that? Are all about wisdom. We're all about what, what's going to get me um, where I'm going in the most effective and, and efficient way. Um, and it, it takes community and it takes discernment to, to, to figure out um, figure out these, these choices, figure out what's wise and foolish. This, this list, right, if you were to make a list of the things that bring you closer to Christ and bring you farther away, that's all this list is. What are the most wise Christian ways to use your time? Um, right? It's not about right versus wrong. Watching Netflix for 10 hours a day is not inherently evil, maybe. But, but if that is the pattern you get in, right, seven days a week, that's probably going to detract from your spiritual life. I'll be so bold to make a universal statement here. I don't think that's going to really push you along in, in your spiritual growth. Um, not because, again, Netflix is a bad thing or, or, or getting obsessed with your kid's sport career, right? And you, you spend every second traveling the world um, with your kids so they can be a little league all-star. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? But, but I've seen this time and time and time again take someone off of their spiritual path. And they wake up 10 years later and they go, how have I never been to church in the last decade? Well, you kind of got obsessed with your kid being a lily slugger. There's nothing wrong with that. But you kind of accidentally made that choice. And it had an impact in your life that maybe you weren't prepared to um, pay that price. You weren't, you weren't prepared to, to experience that. Um, Paul says here to, to use the um, time wisely, make the best use of the time. The, the phrase here in the Greek is to redeem the time. Um, not usually a... a, a phrase that we would use um, in kind of our modern jargon. Um, but we do often talk about time as money um, and use words um, uh, that go along with the metaphor of spending money and receiving money. Um, and that's what redeeming is. You redeem a coupon. Paul's saying here, we all get the same amount of time. Time is a, is a universal gift. All of us, you, myself, the two neighborhood boys who start trash fires, we all get 24 hours in a day. We all get 60 minutes in an hour. We all get seven days a week. Paul says, use that time, spend it, redeem it on godly things. Use that time to, to shape the world into the um, will of the Father and not to um, waste it or to um, use it in, in a kind of self-serving way. When it comes to time management, I think there are, are two opposite errors that everyone kind of falls in on one side or the other. Um, the first extreme is people who um, work all the time. They're workaholics. The other extreme are people who are lazy, right, and never do anything. 
Um, and, and when the scriptures say to use your time wisely, I think they have kind of a, a rebuke to both of these people. Um, to people who work and work and work and work and are constantly serving and constantly volunteering and constantly um, using every second they have to try to, to change the world for, for Jesus. Um, the scriptures would come in and say, take a Sabbath. Take a day off. Sit on your butt and don't do anything. And if you are anything like me, when you sit down and stop doing stuff, this impulse kicks in that reveals an intense amount of pride. And you start going, well, how will God's work ever get done? This is a serious crisis for the global church. I'm taking a day off. The Sabbath is, is this one big like attack on our pride, right? Stop working. I don't need you. As much as the Sabbath, this, this concept to take a day off and, and rest is kind of this anthropomorphic thing where, where it is meant for us to be healthy and to relax and recharge. It's also, I think, a, a theological um, kind of applicable object lesson. Because God doesn't need you to accomplish his kingdom, to accomplish his project. And, and the more self-involved you get, the least effective you're going to be in, in using your time for God. So sit down realize you don't have to do anything for this to, to keep going, for this to, this to work. You know, there, and you have um, people who maybe don't use any of their time to, to, to shape the world around them into the will of the Father. Um, people who are lazy or who use all of their time um, for themselves, uh, who, who waste time. Um, and the Sabbath here actually is, is it's a really double-edged command. Um, I was in a, 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 a kind of discussion group once on the way that our culture shapes how we interpret scriptures in the Bible. And one of the examples was the Sabbath. And when we read the Sabbath in America, being more of the workaholic tendency, we see the challenge as being stop working for a day. We're like, wow, okay, that would take some discipline and kind of make me eat a little humility and calm down. Um, In other cultures, though, the challenge is on the other end. And, And we don't often see this end, though, because of our culture, the Sabbath, the opposite of taking one day off means you have to work for six days. Right? We're, I mean, our, the American business work week is five days a week. Other cultures, we doesn't go, have Americans ever read their Bible? What are they doing? Taking two, weeks off, two days off a week? What is, what is this nonsense? Well, obviously, right, using our time working for the kingdom doesn't have necessarily anything to do with clocking in or out at our job, uh, at our businesses. Um, but but the, the Sabbath command, I think, has um, a, a sharp edge on both sides here. For people who work seven days a week, it says stop and calm down. And, and for people who work one day a week or two days a week or three days a week or, or zero days a week, it says, look, you should be using your time for God's glory. And you should be using your time wherever you're at, whether you're at your job, whether you're at your home, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store. You should be redeeming it. Um, and, and using it in a way that uh, would glorify God. Um, he says, do this. Um, don't be foolish. Um, use, the best, use your time in the best way because the days are evil. This is not a kind of like hell in a hand basket, basket apocalyptic view of the world. Um, Paul, Paul's view here is, is simply that everything outside of Christ in his kingdom is broken, uh, inherently broken. It, it causes pain and destruction, um, and, and hurt and, and death. And you might not see it at all times. It might not look broken at all times, 
but it is. Now, you can see it a lot. I mean, just look at the past year, look at the global world. There's a lot of things that are, are broken and they're experiencing the, the results of, of being broken and being damaging. But it's because, it's because of that context. It's because there's so much in the world that's hurting and that's in need of, of change and love and repair that you and I need to use our time wisely. Right? If, there, if there wasn't much to do, then yeah, we could just pick four or five of the best of us and say, get after it. Uh, you know, you do your own thing, okay? Take care of yourself and your family, and these three pastors, they'll do the work, right? But it's because you look out into the world and, and you just see a sea of suffering and hurt and, and, and people, person after person after person who, who needs to know the love of Christ and, and have Christ transform their lives, that, that you and I have a job to do, that we have time to, to use, time to redeem. Um, this is our, our kind of motivation. Paul's saying, um, don't, don't play games with your life. Don't waste your life. Don't, don't be like these kids who, who just can't figure out anything better to do than, than go start random fires. You're like, do you not see the urgency around you? All of, all of the different things that, that, that are there for you to um, be using your time, be using your skills, be using your resources to, to affect and, and to change. Um, he says, look carefully, analyze, reflect on the experiences you've had, the decisions you're making, the kind of person your decisions will turn you into, the kind of experiences your decisions will get you into. And if we could step back every now and then and have this kind of spiritual checkup, I think we'd be able to make the subtle but important adjustments in our life that make all the difference between someone who lives intentionally versus someone who kind of wakes up one morning and is surprised and upset at where they've, what they've become and, and, and where they've gotten um, in their Christian walk. Um, he, he keeps fleshing this out, I think, uh, in verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. I don't think he's, he's really too much concerned with alcohol here. Um, he's just really using this as the negative um, side of, of the positive message he wants to get across. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. The same way that I'm told wine can kind of start to control your thoughts and, and take you over. Uh, you're smiling because you sinners drank last night on New Year's. Um, uh, the same way that that can kind of take over your, your thoughts and emotions and, and body. Um, he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, with, with God's moving in the world, with His desires for the world. Let that fill you up. Let that motivate you. Let that um, take you out into the world. And, and then he fleshes out with three participles. Um, and, and I think this kind of fills out what it does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, giving thanks, and then submitting to one another. He says, um, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and, and spiritual songs and hymns, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just got done with the, a sermon series on Thanksgiving, on how powerful Thanksgiving can be in our hearts and in our minds, and how big of a theme it is in Scripture to, to be thankful for all the gifts that we've been given. Here we see it again. Be filled with the Spirit by giving thanks for everything. And then lastly, be filled with the Spirit by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, address one another, the way you relate to one another. Let it be, he says, right, talking in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody. The idea here is, is that all of our relationships with each other should be part of this kind of symphony of God's grace and mercy and beauty and love. Um, that even the words we, we use when we talk to one another and even the, the way we relate should be 
um, in step with the, the songs of praise to God. Um, he says, also be giving thanks, be on the lookout for all God's blessings and, and turn those into thanksgiving. And then two, submit to one another. Don't, don't posture with one another for, for influence. Don't bully one another, but in respect and out of deference, um, submit to, to one another. This command here, be filled with the Spirit, has always been an interesting one to me um, because it seems so out of our control. I'm telling you this morning, be filled with the Spirit. Your response might be, oh, I can't really control that. I mean, Jesus says the Spirit's like the wind in John 3, right? It comes and goes as it pleases. You don't get to control the wind. Um, but yet Paul says here, be filled with the Spirit. The, the language is sailing language. It comes from the world of, of first century um, boating, is the jargon. Um, the idea is to be caught up with the wind. Let your sail be kind of filled with it and, and pushed along with it. Um, and I think that, that actually is the, the best metaphor to think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, of, of how to position ourselves with our decisions and our time in the most wise Christian way. Uh, a long time ago, I was a counselor at a camp, and one of the weekly activities we had was sailing. And so um, they had these pretty nice sailboats, and you'd take your kids out on the lake on the sailboat. And I don't know if you grew up sailing or have been a sailor or not, but it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and if you don't do it well, it's one of the most boring activities in the world. And so every week, this was like the worst part of our week. I'd take the kids out on the sailboat. We'd slowly drift to the middle of the lake. I'd push them off and take a nap and then wake up a few hours later. And we'd just, again, kind of wait until we slowly drifted back to shore and we'd move on to the next activity. And, and as I would be out on the lake, I'd, I'd look across the lake and I'd see my buddy JP and he would just be flying across the lake. And his kids are happy and having a time. And JP was a lot richer than I was growing up. So he was on the sailboat a lot. And I, I went over to JP and I said, hey, will you teach me how to sail? And so he invited me out onto his sailboat for a couple of weeks. And I kind of just watched him. And he would kind of explain his decisions, right? Here's why I'm, I'm pulling hard on the sail here. Here's why I'm loosening things. Here's what I'm feeling in the weather and in the wind. Here's why I'm turning the boat this way. Here's why I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting the sail in, in this manner. Um, and slowly but surely, over a couple of weeks, I started getting better at sailing. And sure enough, you know, after a couple of months, I was able to kind of fly across the lake. The goal was to go fast enough to be able to turn and flip the sailboat over, which I accomplished. Um, and uh, <clears throat> what I learned from, from sailing... <clears throat> And, and what helps me when I think about um, being filled with the Spirit here um, is in sailing, it's, it's all about, the, the key to this is positioning yourself in the right place. You don't get to control the wind. Uh, you don't get to control the weather. You don't get to control, you know, the conditions on the lake. All you can control is your reaction to it. And, and the ability that you have to discern what's going on and put yourself in the best position to have that wind catch you and blow you across. And, and you kind of build on these skills. So, so you get blown for a little bit, and then you've got to adjust, though, to have the wind keep blowing you. You're just going to kind of fizzle out after a little gust there. And you get better, and you get better, and you get better, and it's all about putting yourself in the right position for the wind to, to kind of catch you and to keep blowing you along. And, and this, I think, the key to this, the Christian life, this is the key to, to analyzing our life, to, to, to making our time, um, to using it wisely, is to put ourselves in the right places. 
where the Spirit consistently works. To position yourself in the right areas at the right times with the right people to be caught up by the Spirit. You, you don't get to control Him. You can't force the Spirit to show up or to move. But you can, if you're wise, look at your life and say the Spirit tends to show up more here than here. And when I do these type of things, I tend to be filled with the Spirit more than when I do these type of things. This is really what you're doing with that list. You're saying, look, when I'm surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters, the Spirit has this weird tendency to show up. And when I'm by myself watching Netflix, not so much. I don't get to make him do anything, but this is just my experience out on the lake. When I'm here, it shows up. I'm able to be filled up, to be inspired, to be moved. Over here, it just, just doesn't happen as much. Or, you know, when I'm spending quality time in the Scriptures, the Spirit tends to show up. I tend to be moved. I tend to experience God's love. I tend to be inspired to go serve God and to go love other people. And when I'm not in the Scriptures, it just doesn't quite happen as often. Now, you know, so when I'm making this list, Christian community, spending time in the Scriptures, um, these aren't foolproof things. There are times I open up the Scriptures and, and nothing quite happens. That happens as a sailor, right? Get on the lake, even if you're really skilled. The wind just doesn't show up. You sit there for a little bit. But nine times out of ten, it seems to happen. But I can guarantee you, not opening up the Scriptures, right? It's like not getting on the lake. There's not even a chance that I'm going to be caught up by the wind at, at that point. Be filled with the Spirit. I, I think what Paul's saying here is, is put yourself in the, the right places for God to move and to move in you and for God to move through you. Um, and as we, we, we end a year and start another year, um, I, I want to invite you to engage in this kind of spiritual checkup. To, to reflect on your life, to analyze your choices and your decisions. For some of us, 2017 starts, and, and where we are is not where we want to be. And, and, and maybe it's, it's one of those wake-up scenarios where we're going, how did I ever get here? Good grief. This stinks. For some of us, we can look back on the past year and, and just see lots of wasted opportunities. Lots of, of time that was wasted. For some of us, 2017 is a fearful thing. The new year is um, full of frightening possibilities and potential failures and hurt. For others of us, 2017 has lots of opportunities. There's things we're already excited about, trying to accomplish and, and get done. And I want to challenge you this morning to come into 2017 and, and to make your growth with Christ a priority. And to, as we start the year out, spend some time reflecting on, on the choices you're making, on the spiritual disciplines you're engaging in. What, what, what is your life like in terms of spending time in the Scriptures? What is your life like in terms of spending time in prayer, spending time in community with other Christians around you? Um, what are the things in your life that, that maybe you never would have even noticed it, if you weren't careful, that, that have a tendency to distract you and pull you away from Christ? What, what are the, what's the trajectory that you're on? Are, are you being intentional about becoming the type of person that you want to be, about seeing God do the type of things you want to see God do in your life and in the, the lives of people around you? 
And by God's grace, as we look carefully at how we walk and, and reflect on our choices, um, I think he will allow us to position ourselves to be more moved by his spirit. Um, and, and we'll see a, a, a beautiful year uh, and a year of spiritual growth and spiritual health. Will you pray with me?